Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. As promised, I'm going to address what happened among the Miami Heat's Udonis Haslam, Jimmy Butler, and Coach Eric Spolstra in this episode. But... I want to touch on a few things I've seen in the NCAA tournament so far that are telling about both individual players and teams. And I think it's meaningful in part, at least, because some of the individuals are going to be in the upcoming draft. Let's start with the St. Peter's College Peacocks, since they were the talk of the tournament, a 15th seed making it all the way to the Elite Eight for the first time in NCAA history by knocking off number three seed Purdue 67-64 before the North Carolina Tar Heels showed them the door. The simplest way I can explain why the Peacocks upset the Boilermakers, despite the latter's decided advantage in size and in depth, <clears throat> is that the Peacocks all have bought in or all had bought in completely to their roles. And Coach Shaheen Holloway not only had integrated them flawlessly, but showed complete confidence in his work even when things weren't going well. Now, it's easy for a coach to tell a player to believe in himself, to stay aggressive, but a a coach can't just say it. He has to show it. Now, I say all this because it was all on display in the Purdue game. North Carolina was simply too good. Hubert Davis, excellent game plan. Understood how to take apart what the St. Peter's College Peacocks did and to utilize what was quite simply just superior talent in being able to shoot from the perimeter and being able to attack the rim. Now, I'm not going to pretend I watched or even knew Holloway or St. Peter's existed until a week or so ago, but I can tell you what he and they did 
and that it was no fluke or mirage. They were a team with a capital T, even in going down to North Carolina. It was, it was a struggle. They were never in it, but they never came apart. You never saw them looking at each other, getting frustrated with each other. They believed right to the very end. Now, this is a small example of what I mean about a coach, in this case Holloway, not just telling one of his players to stay aggressive, but showing it, it in him. Doug Eddard, the second coming of Joe Dirt, and I say that affectionately, whose sharpshooting in the tournament earned him a name-image-likeness deal with Buffalo Wild Wings, struggled mightily shooting the ball against Purdue. With Purdue leading 54-52 and 5-37 left, Eddard uncharacteristically missed the front end of a 1-1. One and one. On the next possession, St. Peter's Matthew Lee missed a 3, but Eddard got the rebound. The Peacocks looked to the bench, and Holloway called, of play, called for a play to get Eddard a shot coming off a curl and heading toward the basket. It worked. Eddard got the ball and then missed an easy layup, leaving it short. Purdue scored af right immediately afterward, bumping its lead to four. On the next possession, the next St. Peter's possession, after wholesale substitutions, Holloway, unfazed, ran another play for Eddard. Keep in mind, Holloway's sharpshooter at this point had missed five of his six shots. Eddard shoots 46% overall, 42% on threes, and 88% from the line. And last two are team highs. On the ensuing play called by Holloway, Eddard came off a pin down and let another three-pointer fly. He rushed it, and there was no way it was going in. His confidence was clearly shaken. But Purdue didn't play him like he was struggling. Senior Sasha Stavanovic was... So worried about Eddard getting a shot off, he practically ran into him, giving him three free throws. Sometimes you have to get lucky, or the other team has to do something boneheaded. But you can make your own luck, or you can lead them into doing something boneheaded. The bottom line is the Peacocks don't get their best free throw shooter on the line if Holloway goes away from him. Instead, Eddard had his chance at redemption, calmly buried the three free throws, and St. Peter's was back to within one with four minutes left. The Boilermaker momentum squashed. The faith the Peacocks had in each other was as obvious as Purdue's lack of chemistry was apparent. Purdue coach Matt Painter down the stretch went to his senior big man, Trevian Williams. Trevian had started, for those who don't know his story, he had started 26 games as a junior and was a finalist for the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Award given to the best center in college basketball. But as a senior, he lost his starting job to a 7-4 sophomore, Zach Eady, even though Williams has by far the more polished game. Now, that said, Eady is imposing, particularly on defense. He just didn't look particularly sure or imposing against the Peacocks. He was 5-for-7 from the floor, all finishes at the rim, but had only two rebounds in 17 minutes and had five of Purdue's 15 turnovers. Painter, not surprisingly, sat him down with six minutes to go and went with Trevian down the stretch. Now, 
Edie is about as stoic as they come. I can't remember seeing him crack a smile once or show any kind of emotion, really. But he did not look happy sitting on the bench. Watching on TV, I was prey to what the cameras decided to show, but I never saw him once cheer on Trevian, who provided that four-point lead and momentum that Stefanovic's foul subsequently crushed. And for whatever it's worth, Stefanovic being a, a senior, I was not aware of that until I checked their roster. I was stunned because he played like a freshman. I hate to say it, but... I was stunned that he was still in the game based on the way he was playing. In any case, the way Edie looked on the bench was neither a good look nor, nor a good sign. Jaden Ivey, Purdue's star guard who is expected to be a top 10 pick in the upcoming NBA draft, didn't look particularly thrilled about Painter's strategy either. Then again, Ivy never showed a whole lot of positive emotion either. If Edie was pulling for Trevian, he should have told his face. And if Ivy was pulling for him, he should have told his body. Because the body language was not good as they were feeding the post. Although Ivy wasn't having a particularly good game either. He finished with 9 points, which is 8 below his average, on 4 for 12 shooting, including 1 for 6 from three. Now, having watched him in the tournament, I was kind of surprised as Purdue struggled to get good looks that he was settling for deep threes and not making them. He didn't attempt a single free throw, which isn't all that surprising because he didn't look to attack even when he had the chance. As I said, settling for long threes that he missed until a desperation rainbow on the break with eight seconds left. And that just happened to be too little, too late. I got the impression earlier in the tournament that Ivy is a Kyrie Irving type. Tremendous in splitting double teams, both crafty and explosive attacking the rim, and fearless in taking and making big shots. Doesn't pass it until he is stuck in being unable to get his own shot. And then he'll give it up. But it never looked as if Purdue figured out how to integrate Ivy's game with the rest of the team. The dude played 36 of the game's 40 minutes against the Peacocks and had two assists and six turnovers. At one point, Painter shouted his name several times to get his attention, and Ivy never turned around. Also, not a good look or a good sign. I mentioned in a previous podcast or two about a high school team that I watched this this past season, this past high school season, that was super talented, but I fully knew from early on, sadly, that they would not reach their potential for the same reason that I saw in Purdue. The star player's game had no connection with the rest of the team, and the coach was clearly oblivious to that fact. They were good enough, sort of like Purdue, good enough to get farther than most teams, but not good enough to fully realize their potential. And sure enough, with this high school team, they bowed out early once they reached their postseason tournament, despite playing on their home floor, which is a huge advantage at the high school level. For many of the same reasons that we saw Purdue lose to St. Peter's. Now, just as an aside, 
watching a Ivy and watching uh, Duke's Paolo Banchero, I feel completely different about Duke and Banchero. He's fearless in taking and making big shots, but he sees the floor and is willing and able to find an open teammate, not just to swing it and ask them to do the work, but to hit them when he catches the defense sleeping. And the only way you do that is if you are looking for those indicators. If you're looking for your shot and exclusively your shot, then chances are you're not going to see when somebody falls asleep and your man makes a back cut. Or you see that he's open even before he does. And obviously, Banchero plays at both ends. He's listed as 6'10", which I actually found surprising only because he has the skills and agility of a much smaller player. He appears very comfortable being 6'10", if that makes sense. And if I had the number one pick, I'd have to be talked out of taking it. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I mention all this as a prelude to what transpired with the Miami Heat this past week. For those unaware, the Heat were playing the Warriors on their home floor. The Warriors were resting Klay Thompson and Draymond Green and were without Steph Curry because of a sprained foot. After Jordan Poole banked home two desperation threes, Eric Spolstra, the Heat head coach, called timeout with the Heat down by 19 early in the third quarter. An argument between Spolstra and Jimmy Butler broke out in the huddle, and veteran big man Udonis Haslam got into the mix, apparently taking up for Spolstra. From what I've been able to gather from those who were there and my gift for reading lips, Spolstra was unhappy that Jimmy had broken a play at the other end before Poole's second three. Spolstra, in their arguing with each other during the timeout, kept yelling at him, run the damn play, and at one point threw his clipboard on the court. When Udonis jumped in, Butler apparently told him to sit his ass down because he was nothing but a cheerleader, which understandably really set Udonis off. He was ready to fight Jimmy as Spolster was. The Heat responded coming out of that timeout, as not all that surprising, cutting the lead to one, but then went flat in the fourth quarter and the Warriors won easily. Afterward, Spolstra was a master at spinning the ordeal. He joked when asked what happened in the timeout in the third quarter that they were arguing over what they planned to go to dinner after the game and then said everyone was upset because they're a competitive group and have a high standard. He knew the dinner thing was just to lighten the mood, to make a wisecrack, and then that gave him the avenue to say, okay, I'll really answer it, and yet he really didn't answer it. For whatever reason, no one followed up with a question about why he and Jimmy in particular were yelling at each other, nor did they ask why 
the Heat weren't able to sustain what they did in cutting the lead to one. I'd say the performance by the media in this case was almost as bad as that of the Miami Heat. Now, the pros are not college or high school. I'm told the Warriors at times had similar blow-ups, and I saw some of them, and made comments just as harsh as the one Butler made to Udonis, all of this during the Warriors' championship runs. Getting sideways with each other isn't necessarily a sign that the Heat can't play together or find the camaraderie necessary to win a championship, but they do have to mend some fences to get there. Udonis may not play, but his place and presence on the team has to be appreciated. Every single guy on a roster, on the bench, on the coaching staff, in the front office, has to be appreciated and respected for their role. That's the way championships are won. If there's somebody that is looked at different, is treated different, the pressure of trying to win a championship will find that crack in the chemistry. The bigger problem with the Heat is one that I believe is what prompted Spolstra to get upset. Because Jimmy, whether my listeners realize this or not, fancies himself on par with LeBron and Steph and KD as an offensive weapon. And he's just not. Not on a championship level. The Heat don't have that kind of guy. They have to find a way to utilize all of their weapons. One thing I did hear in the aftermath of the incident with the... with Jimmy and and Spolstra and Udonis, is that the Heat's culture has been compromised by the presence of Kyle Lowry. Spolstra and team president Pat Riley have always been sticklers about every member of the team meeting certain conditioning standards, which includes a prescribed body fat index for every player on the team. They have workouts, and when the guys are on their uh, on on bikes, all of the physical metrics the biometrics are apparently up on a screen for everybody to see so everybody sees exactly how hard everybody is working and they prescribe for every player at the beginning of the season certain measurements they have to make weight body fat index uh, I don't know lung capacity oxygen intake I'm, I'm making up some of the last ones but various things like that that are very exacting and usually a challenge for a player to meet. It's not like it's well within their normal realm. In any case, uh, I've been told that the body fat index has not been, it's either been removed or there's been some leeway given Um, or that the standard has been relaxed for Lowry, which who has historically had a weight issue at times. Now he, He certainly doesn't look to be particularly trim right now, which is usually what you see when guys go to Miami as a result of the process that I just told you about. They look thinner and more cut than they ever have before. The heat culture and their unrelenting insistence that every player meet their stringent standards is also what has made them so successful over the years. Making exceptions has never been their credo. It opens the door 
to guys like Jimmy thinking they can break a play, which is why Spo would feel so inspired to challenge Jimmy the way that he did. I've never seen the Heat, by the way, as having the potential to come out of the East. So let's be clear. It's not as if this is a sudden revelation or it's, oh my God, it looked like the Heat could win their first title since 2006 and now it doesn't look like it's going to happen. I never put them in that category. They are very much in the mold of their team president and head coach, overachievers. On paper, they have all the ingredients, shooting, defense, toughness, a couple guys who can beat you off the dribble, but they don't have that one guy who scares you. The guy that you can't stop unless you throw everything at him. And when you do, he's good enough to give it up to the teammate in the right place at the right time. They have a couple guys who, with the right matchup, are capable of being that. Jimmy being one, Kyle being the other. And in a few very select situations, Tyler Harrow being a third. Which is why Spolstra knows that they can't have Jimmy or anybody else trying to take over when the team is struggling, that they've got to work collectively. The exchange of unpleasantries in the Warriors game doesn't mean that they can't work collectively. It just means they are still figuring out exactly what that means to everyone involved. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. In the next episode, the latest thing I'm seeing is an uproar over the possibility that Nikola Jokic or Joel Embiid might have to settle for second-team All-NBA honors. And it's raised a question about the voting particulars the categories, and the way that the NBA conducts it. Surprisingly not who's conducting it or who's participating, which is the media. We're not getting blamed this time around. It's the format that the league is using, and there's a push to change it with various ideas being thrown out there on how to change it. I'll give you all my thoughts on that uh, since I am a voter and have been for some 25-plus years. And all of that will take place in the next podcast. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.